Father, we ask that in this moment, you really would open our eyes as, as right now we have our, our real eyes closed, that in our hearts you would open, give us vision, help us to see <coughs> uh, who you are, uh, help us to see past religion, past church, past the pews, and even past a person that shouldn't be in the pulpit. Were it not for your son. And we need to see him right now in this moment. We need to see your son, Jesus. Help us to learn him now as in this next few moments so that we become more like him for the rest of our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your Bibles and Turn to Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles in front of you there. Towards the back of the Bible, New Testament. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. Luke chapter 10 is where we'll be. Have you ever heard Christianity described like a roller coaster? Uh, The ups and downs of the Christian life. I, I remember the first time I really felt that was when I went to a retreat, I think I was in high school, and I went to a retreat, and I just, I got the spiritual high, you know, I just, I left that retreat like a mountaintop experience, and just filled with zeal, and you want to conquer the world for Jesus, and then it dwindles, you go about your life, and I'm involved in church, and I do things, and and then it just kind of dwindles. And then before you know it, the next year's retreat is announced and you go to the next year's retreat and you go to another retreat. Maybe it's a men's retreat or women's retreat or a little bit different. Maybe you're out in the woods and you get to get away from the busyness of life and work and family and you get to escape a little bit and then you get, you get refueled again. And then before you know it, you're like, can I, should I schedule a retreat every couple months? Because this, I need to be, refueled because then it deflates and then I have to do something to inflate it and then it deflates and and we try to be the best Christians we can be and we try to identify our spiritual gifts and serve in the church and it gets tiring. I told somebody once, I said, wow, ministry can be really tough sometimes and the person looked at me and said, really? And I wanted to say, are you really saying really? You know. Oh, what do you mean? I said, well, it's, you know, you want to, you want to serve and you want to help and you want to, and you want to do and you want to get out there and you want to help people, but, but it gets, it gets tiring. You know, doing the things that you do in the Christian life, it, it's enjoyable, it, it's fulfilling, but it's also tiring and it, it empties your tank quickly. And before you know it, you find yourself doing Christianity, but you're, you're wondering if you're missing something deeper. I think this passage helps us understand that. It's a familiar passage, Luke chapter 10, where um, Jesus meets two sisters, Martha and Mary. We'll begin reading in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care 
that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, just for complete transparency, you know, there, there's no need for me to, you know, I, I, when I read this passage, I know who I'm supposed to identify with, and I know who I actually do identify with. I know that Jesus says Mary's got the better portion, so I go, okay. But in my mind, I'm going, I'm Martha, you know. I get it. I would have too. You know, how many of you, if you were slaving and toiling in the kitchen, you've got the Messiah sitting in your living room, and he's hungry. How do we know he's hungry? Because he's the God-man. That's why when he was on the cross, he wasn't like, oh, it's the cross. No, it hurt. And he said, I thirst. He was thirsty. He hungered. Got to feed him. I mean, in a culture where hospitality is it, hospitality is everything. And she wants to be hospitable to Jesus. And she's got the chicken in the oven and the veggies and the pot and the I mean she's got all this stuff going on and she needs help she's wiping her brow with the towel and she's running around this is going to burn if I don't switch this and I've got to fix that and I drop this this has to be clean where did I put the artichokes she's she's looking around the kitchen she's going crazy and Mary's just sitting there now Mary wasn't just over I mean they're sisters and they've served together before Mary knows the recipe Mary knows where the artichokes are. She's just sitting there. And so when I read this passage, I'm going, I see what Jesus is saying, but I don't, I, I don't get Mary. I get Martha. Um, and I, I tend to identify with her. And I wonder if you do too. Martha is not, she's not upstairs playing video games. She's, she's serving. She's helping. The man is hungry. Let's feed him. Mary, you're inconsiderate. I mean, you're, the guy's hungry and you want... Oh, he just came from a long campaign of teaching. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's tired. And you just want him to keep teaching. No. I get Martha. But why did Jesus chide her? Why, why did Jesus say, Martha... You're not right. I think the first clue we get is in verse 40. Because it says, Martha, while Mary was at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching, says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. See, it doesn't just say, but Martha was serving. It doesn't just say, but Martha was practicing hospitality. It says, Martha was distracted with much serving. And so we see right off the bat, Jesus isn't you know, reprimanding her for what she was doing. He was reprimanding her for being distracted by it, overburdened with it, preoccupied with it. He wasn't saying, Martha, put down the dishes. What are you doing? I don't eat. No. He's saying, you're running around, and you're setting the table, and you're grabbing plates, and you're, you're grabbing the napkins, and you're folding them 
to look like little elephants or something. You're, you're preparing everything like, you know, this is the grand thing. And that's a, I appreciate that, but you're missing it. It has become a distraction from the main thing. And so she's distracted with much serving. She had an idea of what had to get done, and she went about it diligently. And that's commendable. That's why we identify. That's why I identify with her. But somehow she got lost in it all. I mean, she's doing the right thing. She's doing the. She's doing good things, but somehow she's still lost in it all. Well, how do, how does that happen? What should have been the focus um, became a distraction. Which what should have been discipleship became busyness. And that's where this passage strikes eerily close to home for me, and I think for many of you. The good things about the Christian life, the things that we should be doing, the things that are good to do, somehow become an end in themselves. Somehow they become the main thing. Somehow they become the necessary thing. And then we miss it. And then we experience the roller coaster because we're tired and we're anxious and we're distracted and we're missing the thing. And you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I gave up drinking, I gave up smoking, I don't hang out with those friends anymore, I go to church every time the doors are open, I, 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 I read my devotionals, I, I mean, I, I do a lot of different things that are Christian and that are good, somehow we get lost in it. And what should have been discipleship becomes Christian busyness. Look at verse 41, he, Jesus, Jesus nails it on the head, he says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He doesn't say, Martha, you're doing so many things. You're doing way too many things. You have to learn how to multitask better. You have to consolidate your, your tasks. Why don't you go get an ancient Franklin Covey planner and just be more efficient in what you're doing? No, no. It's not that she's doing many things. It's that she's anxious and troubled about many things. That's where she's reprimanded. And I've been there. I mean, literally, I, I've, and I'm going to tell you, when, you know, someone's coming over the house or having friends over or something, Tina does most of the preparation. I, I'm, I'll be the first one to admit that. Uh, but, but I want to put on the good impression, too. You know, so I'm like, what, what should I do? Okay, sweep the floors. I grab the boom and I, and I'll start sweeping and, and then the kids drop something and I'm picking them up and then can we, can we just strap Lincoln in for a minute so he can just stop? <laughs> Stop pulling stuff off the shelves and in the cabinets like Yoda, just throwing stuff over his shoulder, you know. Just strap them in and get the kids to just sit at the table for a minute. We're setting the table, and oftentimes I'm involved in the cooking. I've got something on the grill. I remember one time specifically, we had friends over. By the time I finally sat down to eat, I was sweating. Honestly, I mean, I was, I thought, this is so much work. And then sometimes... And then you have a fun time, and it's good relationships. They're, they're your friends. They don't have these expectations. We kind of hoist them on ourselves, you know. Uh, we're like, what would Martha Stewart think of that napkin, you know, or something? <laughs> and we just, we just, we're just running around, and we're trying to set this, and it kind of robs the enjoyment. You know, next time the friends call and say, "Hey, can we come over for dinner?" I'm thinking of the thing on the grill and the kids and Lincoln strapped in, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Really want to hang out with you guys, but I'm tired. So Martha's 
setting the table, that's fine. She's cooking, that's great. Got to eat. She's doing things that she should do, but she's anxious and she's troubled because she's missing something else that's necessary. And what I think began as a desire for her to serve and to care for others, care for Jesus, it quickly just became an exercise in toil. And I really want to, I really want to strike this home. Um, what makes this passage so hard to swallow is how contradictory it seems to us. I mean, that's the difficulty I have with it. This is the difficulty I have with this passage. It's that it's, it's a difficult pill to swallow because it seems contrary to our Christian instinct. Um, like I mentioned, Jesus has to eat. And I mentioned hospitality, but I want to strike this home. Romans 12, 13. Paul writes to the Romans. He's giving them commands. He's kind of done doctrine for 11, 10 to 11 chapters. Now he's going to take the remaining chapters in the book of Romans to tell you, this is how you live the Christian life. Understanding all this doctrine, now this is how you're supposed to live your life. And in chapter 12, verse 13, after talking about being transformed by the renewing of your mind and having this, not conforming to the world, what should you do? And then he mentions, you know, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Don't just show hospitality on accident. If a saint happens to knock on your door, no, you go seek to show hospitality. Christians should be people who go out and find somebody who doesn't have something, a place to go for Thanksgiving. And yes, it would be annoying to set yet another table setting at your table. But you, you're looking for people to show hospitality to. Seek to show hospitality. Your radars are supposed to be out. People that are lonely, people that are needy, people that are hungry, people that don't have company, people that need friends, go get them, bring them home. Pop a lean cuisine in the microwave, do something. Help. Show, show hospitality to people. And Romans has been touted as the, the jewel of the New Testament. In 1 Timothy, Paul is trying to describe, now this passage is just weird because, you know, uh, Paul is telling Timothy, now there's a lot of widows out there, and a lot of them really do need care, but some of them, they're, they're not really widows, and they're just trying to get over on the church. So you have to have rules. You have to have, these are the kinds of people that we'll care for. Now that, that strikes us, you know, that's different than Christianity today, where everybody who knocks on the door, we've got to give them something, you know. Uh, Paul's saying, no, no, there's, there has to be parameters. And as he's describing the parameters specifically for widows in this case, he says um, the widow should have a reputation for good works. She's, she's brought up her children um, and has shown hospitality. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's cared for the afflicted and devoted herself to every good work. One of those check marks looking at a person's life and saying, is this person just trying to get over on us? Or is this person really a Christian, really somebody that that exemplifies Christ and needs to be helped, one of those check boxes is, has this person been known to show hospitality? In Hebrews 13, we're given this command. Listen, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Now, Martha's got Jesus. You and I, we kind of pick friends. But in Hebrews saying, do not neglect to show it 
to strangers. I don't know this person. What if they're just scoping my house to see where they could break in? He's not saying don't don't throw care to the wind. But just because you don't know somebody, just because they're not your best friend, doesn't mean they should never see your kitchen. They should never see your living room. God bless you with a home and someone else needs a place to to hang out. Don't don't neglect them just because you don't know them like they're your brother. Don't neglect hospitality, guys. Don't neglect hospitality in Romans and 1 Timothy. These are just the passages I picked. In 1 Peter 4, 9, Peter tells the church, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Like, hey, hospitality is kind of hard and... We're in a culture of hospitality in the, in the Near East, you know, the, the, in a culture where hospitality is like the backbone of family and society. That it's, it's hard because some people, they, they leave, they make a mess, they don't help us with the dishes, I gotta cook extra food, it's not really in our budget to have people over, this guy had second helpings, that's kinda rude, you know? No, no, show hospitality without grumbling, without grumbling. Because that's Christian, that's the Christian way. There's something about hospitality that, that shows that you are concerned for someone else. Yes, this is my favorite chair. You sit in it. Yes, this is, this is our steak. Now, in this day and age, I can't say I hunted it and killed it myself and skinned it myself, but I paid $18 for it, man. You know, this is, and I'm splitting it with you. This is our favorite recipe, our favorite meal. I'm sharing with you. There's something about hospitality that's essential to the Christian life. It's not just a little tack on. Oh, we have some hospitable people. We have some that are not hospitable. Everybody has their spiritual gifts. No, no, no. Hospitality is, is core to the Christian life. Now, why do I, why do I take us there? Because I want us to put those lenses on where hospitality is core. Hospitality is essential. Hospitality is good. And then here's Martha doing the best she can in doing it. Mary's just sitting there, not doing it. And Jesus says, Mary's got it. Martha's missed it. How is that possible? I mean, we read it and we get kind of like, oh, I kind of identify more with Martha. But that's what Jesus said. And then we kind of ignore the passage and we miss the passage. I don't think we could get the passage so we just put on Martha's mind for a minute. Because it's very much like ours. She's not a mean person. She's not a, a, a ill-tempered person necessarily. She's frustrated because she's confused. And the confusion is that we're supposed to be hospitable, are we not? If someone's hungry, we're supposed to feed them, are we not? If I don't toil in the kitchen, nobody eats. And we had them come over and we I heard that Jesus was in another house and he told the guy, when I came in here, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't kiss my cheek, you didn't do any of that. And then some lady from the street broke in and washed his feet and he commended her. And you're just going to sit there and do nothing? Let's cook. You got to get Martha's mind in order to get why she's being rebuked. And so Jesus expects hospitality, demands hospitality. You know, John 13, he washed the disciples' feet. He told the disciples, this is what it is to be disciples. Serve one another. And then, you know what's really crazy? Is the, the story that is right before this one. The, the passage that, is, that this one comes right on the heels of is the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, didn't Jesus just finish making up this whole elaborate story just to drive home the point that you should love your neighbor. 
You don't just say you love your neighbor. If he's beat up on the side of the street, you serve your neighbor. This guy gave him money, put his clothes on his back, put him on his animal, got him to the hotel, put his credit card down. You know, just keep the card and keep charging it for however many things he needs. Take care of him. I'll be back and I'll pay the bill. You know, just just take care of him. The sacrifice to serve someone else. He just finished teaching that. And then the very next episode, Mary's just sitting there. Martha's doing the love your neighbor. Neighbor with a capital N. This is Jesus. Love him. Serve him. And then she gets reprimanded. How does she get reprimanded? Jesus, verse 41, says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. That's what's on her mind. That's what's on her heart. That's the problem. And then he points to what would have been the solution, what she should have been thinking about, what her heart should have been set on so that she wouldn't have been anxious and distracted by those things. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. There's one thing that's needful. There's a lot of things you think you should do. There's a lot of things that have to get done in the kitchen and everywhere else, but there's one thing that's essential. Hey, if we don't eat tonight, our stomach grumbles and we go to bed. But this thing is needful for life. This thing is more essential than all that. One thing is necessary. What is that thing? What Mary chose. Mary chose the good portion. And portion there, think meal. You know, when you have your pot and everyone's ready to eat and you give, you dole out the portions. When you're about to cook, you're thinking, how many people are coming over? Eight. That's not enough portions. You have to divide it up. Now, you're worried about these portions in the kitchen. You're worried about making sure that everybody gets their meal, their portion. And you're worried that it's not going to happen because you're not getting help. You're in there alone and Mary's not helping. But I'm telling you, Mary's already had her portion. And it's better than any portion you could ever produce from any kitchen on this planet. She's had the better meal. Martha's probably thinking, wait a minute. She's had the better portion. For a second, she's probably thinking, wait, did she eat already? That's why this jerk is just sitting there. She's not hungry. She ate. She grabbed something, you know, out of the cabinets to hold her off. And I'm the one thinking, we've got to eat. We're hungry. And she's just sitting there. You know, did Mary eat already? And she's looking at Mary and she's like, Mary's not eating. He said she's having a better portion, but I don't see a plate. I don't see napkins. There's no crumbs on her cheeks. And dinner's not ready yet. And Jesus, that's my point. The dinner's not ready yet. How could she have had her meal? We, we're supposed to have each of us our portions. It's not ready yet because she's just sitting there. And Jesus probably just gives her a look and waits for her to get it. Because he's not talking about an actual meal, is he? Your mind races back to John 4 when the disciples tell Jesus, Jesus, Rabbi, eat. And he says, I have food you know nothing about. And then they looked at each other. I'm not making this up. This isn't creative imagination. It's in the text. They looked at each other and go, did he eat already? They missed it. Just before that, just before that episode, Jesus meets a, a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman at a well. And he asked her for water, and she's like, you're asking me for water? I'm a, I'm a woman, you shouldn't be talking to me, I'm a Samaritan, you shouldn't be talking to me. And he said, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water, and I'd give you living water. You know what she said? 
I don't see a bucket. How are you gonna get how are you gonna get that? I'm not talking about actual water though, am I? In Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and he's hungry. It t- the text tells us Jesus is hungry. He wasn't so holy that a fast was a breeze. He was fasting for 40 days and the man was hungry. And Satan tempts him three ways. In the first way, he says, see these stones right here? You have the power to turn them into bread. No one's watching. No one's looking. Turn the stones into bread. Eat. And you remember Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8.3, and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's something more fundamental to our existence and our survival as human beings than bread. As badly as we need food, as, as tight as our stomachs get when Lucas preaches a little too long and you're thinking how good a beef from Bona would be or whatever, we have these things built in because God put it there. It's not evil to eat. It's, we're supposed to eat. We die if we don't eat. Even so, there's still something more fundamental than bread to our existence. And that's the whole point of fasting. So We talked about that a little bit the Friday prayer meeting. The point of fasting is to say, God, bread is necessary. Bread is from you. Bread is good. But as good and necessary as it is, I'm putting that aside for a little while so that I can focus on something that's more necessary. Focus on something that is better. Something that I need much more profoundly than I need physical nutrition. I need spiritual nutrition. And Jesus says what it is. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. As God speaks to us, as God gives us a revelation about himself, we hang on it more than we do with our forks and knives at a restaurant when the appetizer is taking too long. We hunger for it. We thirst for it. And it's the very words of God to hear him, to learn him, to have your mind renewed by him. That's the meal. And Jesus is telling Martha, Mary is having a meal and it's better than the one you're preparing. Because the one you're preparing three hours from now, we're going to be hungry again. The one she's having is going to fulfill her forever. I'm serving something that fills you for life. I'm serving up the necessary thing, the better meal. And you're missing it, Martha. You're missing it. I want to share this. I I hope it's helpful. I I went to a retreat. It was actually a leadership retreat. and It was specifically a ministry. I think this applies across the board. Uh, Jim Harrington, a Baptist pastor, I think, in Texas, he put two circles on the board. So just imagine with me. There's, there's two circles. And in the one circle, you have the sphere of um, meditation, devotions, the contemplative life, the life of um, you know, quiet, listening to Jesus, feasting on God's word, feeding your soul, maybe taking prayer walks. Uh, maybe putting in a worship CD and just kind of getting lost in it for a little while. Just let the music shape your soul. Spend some time in a passage of scripture. That's the contemplative life. It doesn't involve people. It doesn't involve busyness. It's not a to-do list. It's the life of becoming. It's a life of sitting and listening at Jesus' feet. That's one circle. 
There's another circle which is very good and very appropriate and necessary, and we're commanded to be engaged in it, and it's a circle of serving. You identify your spiritual gift and you use your spiritual gift at church. You, you realize you have certain resources that can help people. You use those resources to help people. Whether you preach or you share a word or you're an encourager or you ask someone if you can pray for them. You engage in Christian ministry, doing things, serving for people. Let's just put hospitality in there since we already used that example. This circle is the sphere where hospitality would go. You're connecting with people. You're doing stuff. You're expending energy on people. You're being that good Samaritan. That's this circle. And what dawned on me as he was explaining these circles is that you can't just, one day I'll do this one, one day I'll do that one. I'll do this one for a while, I'm not too good at this one. Or I'll do this one a lot, and I'm not too good at this one. He's saying, no, the two both have to happen, but this one needs to feed this one. You know why we burn out and we go on the roller coaster rides? Because we go to the retreat where we do a lot of this. A lot of sitting and listening to teaching and underlining our Bible and highlighting our favorite verses and focusing on it and ingesting it, mulling it over, buy the CDs, listen to them again, talk about it with your friends, really ingest it, think about it hard. And then we come home and we're charged, we're amped and we serve and we're hospitable. We open our homes and we, we minister to people, we evangelize, we tell co-workers that they've known us for, for a long time and we just never told them and now we're amped up. And we, and we tell them and we share them and then it fizzles out. Because we saw this circle as just something that happens at retreats instead of something that you're supposed to constantly be engaged in. Sitting at Jesus' feet so that you're filled and then you can go serve. Martha wanted to skip this one and just function here. And what you have is a hamster in a wheel, running and serving plates. Guess what? Three hours later, people are hungry again. You serve plates again. Three hours later, the family's hungry again. The plates are served again. I drive Tina crazy. We have lunch, and an hour later, I'm like, what's for dinner? Luke, give me a minute. I'm like, I don't want it now. I just want to know. I'm already thinking about dinner. I'm hungry. You know, we, we, it, it's a cycle of eating, and then you, you digest it, and it's it, the nourishment, the energy you felt, it's gone. you got to eat again. And so in Christianity, we expend our energy, we serve people, we're good Samaritans, we open our homes to people, we help people, we use our spiritual gifts, and we're not recharging. Then our car starts sputtering, and we pull over to the side of the road, and we're wondering, how come I'm not in the fast lane anymore? Well, you're not fueling up. Mary was taking a moment to do this. And Martha was just skipping to the action. And that's where she was reprimanded because she missed the important thing, the one necessary thing. Why is this circle the necessary thing and not this one? Because this one is a result of the necessary thing. You can do a bunch of Christian stuff and never be connected to Christ. Didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 7? They came to the Lord, we did a bunch of amazing miracles in your name. He's like, the problem is I don't know you. He didn't say you didn't do that stuff. He goes, no, you didn't. No, he didn't say that. He just said... I affirm the fact that you did a bunch of great things. I don't know you. You can function in this circle completely on human energy. That's why it's not the necessary thing. You could be a good Christian. You could be a good Muslim. You could be a good Mormon. You could be a good person. There's a lot of things you could do that outwardly seem like they're good. Do you know Christ? See, this circle is that personal dynamic relationship where he's supposed to fuel you. Fulfill you. He's the vine. You're the branch. He, he pours that juice into you that gives you life. If that branch is cut off, 
it, with, it withers and dies. This is the main thing. This is the one necessary thing. And when you spend time there, it gives you the energy, the purpose, the projection you need for the other circle. So you can't survive in the world of Christian doing if you don't live in the world of Christian being. You know that parable of the Good Samaritan? Do you remember why, that, why he told that parable? An expert in the Mosaic law wanted to test Jesus. And he said, Jesus, well, how do I inherit eternal life? How does that happen? And Jesus said, well, you're an expert in the law. I see your robes and the stuff stuck on your head. You know, your, your scrolls are in your little Livestrong bracelet. You tell me what it says. And the lawyer didn't have to pull out the scroll and read it. He knows it. He's an expert in the law, in the Mosaic law. And he tells him, he says, if, if you even want to drop, pull your eyes up to verse uh, 26 of the chapter we're already in, Luke 10, 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so here's how the lawyer answered Jesus. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Now, remember, we already learned Jesus said there's two commands. The first one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus already, I mean, Jesus agrees. And he, this is what the guy says. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Now, the lawyer had a problem with the second one. Right, right, right. Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Well, who's my neighbor? Because can't help everybody, right? What if somebody's a jerk? What if somebody's not nice? And Jesus tells him a story. Here's a guy's bloody mess. He's all beat up. And two Jewish religious people that teach the word and are supposed to know the word. They're supposed to really love God and everything. And they just walk right by. And you got a Samaritan. He's the outcast. He's not the religious type. He's not welcomed into the Jewish synagogues. Get out, get out, get out. And he helps him. Now, who was a neighbor? Yeah, the guy that helped him. Yeah, right. Go and do likewise. So Jesus was teaching him, it's not enough to just say that you know Scripture up here. You have to live it. You can't just say, yeah, I dwell in this circle. No, you have to do this circle. You can't say, I spend time with Jesus and I know God and he changes me and he renews me. I'm not conformed to the world. I'm such a saturated disciple. If you're not engaged in this circle, no, you're not. Because if you really love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and all your soul, you're going to love your neighbor. Now Luke gives us another story right on the heels of that one. And we know that we're supposed to love our neighbor. Martha is trying to do it. But where the lawyer missed the second one, he had a problem with love your neighbor as yourself. He didn't have a problem with love the Lord your God with everything. He had a problem with the neighbor one. Martha doesn't have a problem with the second one. She wants to love neighbor. She wants to cook. She wants to serve. She wants to fill stomachs. She wants to set the table. She wants to make sure, are you cold? Are you warm? You need a jacket? Should I turn the fire up? Her issues with the first one. No, you don't skip over the first one to love neighbors yourself. You get the first one first. 
What Mary's doing is fulfilling the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Mary's thinking, I'm hungry, but I don't care. I know there's stuff in the kitchen. I know Martha's going to be mad at me later, but it doesn't matter. I need to sit here and listen to the words that drip off my Savior's mouth because I love God with everything. It overtakes my stomach. It overtakes my thirst. It overtakes any sense of cultural hospitality. This is first. This is the necessary thing. And so Jesus said, she's got it. First commandment first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Then you can do the second. Love neighbor as yourself. Now you and I are, are called to serve. We're called to be servants. But being comes before doing. It's not being instead of doing. It's that being beco- comes before doing. And so the one necessary thing of being a Christian is to sit and listen to Christ. Let's pray. Fathers, we get ready to close in a song of worship. We ask that you would help us to learn how to sit and listen. Many times, literally, to sit, take a time out, turn off the radio, turn off the TV, go in your closet if you need to, just have space where you're not a dad or a mom or a brother or a sister or a husband or a wife, a space and time we can just sit and listen to open up your word or put in a CD of someone reading your word, somehow to, to, to let it fall on our eyes or rest on our ears and we can ingest it and not just memorize scripture because then we're turning it into another Christian duty, but that this would just be about a relationship I don't have to put a reminder in my calendar to want to be with my wife. I want to be with my wife because I love her. We want to be with you. We want to sit at your feet because we love the Lord our God with everything. And some of us in here, Father, may feel a little cold on that front. We'd rather just serve. Lord, help us to realize that we don't want to be Martha. We don't want to function that way. We want to do what Mary did. And get the first thing first. And so we ask that you would give us the desire that we need to sit there. Give us the thirst that we need. That would become so uh, such a drive in our spiritual lives that we might forget we're hungry for a minute because we're just spending time reading your word, reflecting on it, sitting, praying, listening to you prayerfully. Because we love you with everything. Help us to be in that place. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.